Hello, and welcome to the Business Success Show. I'm your host, Kim Davis, and during this podcast series, I'll be interviewing the leaders of the world's most iconic brands to discover the secrets to their success. Plus, I'll be sharing with you tips and ideas on how you can apply these lessons to your own life and work. So come with me as your next business success lesson starts now. Today, I am joined by the one and only Rose Sandy, who works over at HarperCollins as the publishing director for HQ Nonfiction, which, as I understand it, is a new job. Is that right, Rose? It is a brand new job. It's a brand new position in an amazing imprint, uh, which is basically a division that we publish books through at HarperCollins. We've got many divisions, and this is one of them. (laughs) <laughs> fantastic well congratulations on that thank and, you and uh, I'm really looking forward to you so thank you for joining me today I'm very happy to be here thank you for having me <laughs> my pleasure right so the first thing I want to start off with especially considering that you come from the publishing world over at HarperCollins I want to get your story so where did your story begin and how did you get to HarperCollins and this accomplished career that you have today <laughs> Oh, wow. It's uh, how much time do you have? Anyway, I'll keep it short, but I've always just been intrigued by books. I was a bookworm growing up. I, I read, I, you know, I was an avid reader. I loved story. I'm a, the biggest fan of story. However, story is told. Let's start there. That, so that's my, that's me. That's Rose. Um, Although my career wasn't necessarily in publishing, so I did not start in publishing. I worked for um, big um, companies. I worked for uh, Sony for a long time. I worked for the Coca-Cola company. I worked for Cisco. And all those skills and, you know, all those skills just helped in many ways. The skills I learned there, the experience I had there helped me get to where I am today. And um, and it was it was a door opener. But in terms of publishing, um, living in London, this is where public uh, publishing is, or a lot of publishing is. So I actually came to HarperCollins when I was in between um, when I was changing roles, and I took some time out. Uh, my children were very small, so I wanted to make sure I was making the right decisions for us as a family. And in that time, I started a publishing company, and. That was done through my research, my interest. It was a hobby, but I, th- I thought I'm really going to learn as much as I can about publishing. And so, and I started writing and I wrote my first novel and I was very intrigued because you know, it did really well in the Amazon charts. And before I knew it, I had this mini following for this character I was writing about. So that today is about eight books in it. Um, so with that on one side, I had a very good friend who worked within HarperCollins and we were really good friends when na- all practically neighbors in the na- same neighborhood. And we actually lived not too far to, not too far from where the old HarperCollins building was. So she one day just suggested, you know, there is this division in HarperCollins and they would like some help around, um, marketing and some strategy around, uh, some books and some very niche books, which at that time were Bibles and, uh, sort of that religion and spirituality area. And I thought, well, you know what, I can do that for a couple of days while I run my other business and try to figure out this whole thing that I'm doing with publishing. 
and literally went and worked for uh, our division there, William Collins, which is in Hopper Collins, another division, uh, working on this project, really enjoyed it, and somehow um, got asked to do a bigger job through that process. And that bigger job was really what um, I've been doing at HarperCollins for seven years, which is basically looking after the distribution business of our Christian books, bringing them in from the US and republishing them here or finding a market for them. So it's basically been about distribution, uh, importing books, distribution, uh, distributing them in the UK, finding um, a way to the market, republishing them when we had to, uh, looking for uh, where we could place them with regards to UK tastes. And in that, in that process, about three years ago, I saw the need to develop an imprint, which is basically a division, again, that specifically looks at inspirational publishing and for both fiction and nonfiction. And we've done really well with that. And I'm very proud of that. And literally, that's how I, uh, that's what I've been doing in HarperCollins, publishing books, distributing books, marketing books, and basically the whole um, end to end from when you acquire books all the way to when I see them uh, in bookstores. So looking after the whole, basically the whole, the whole chain. Yeah, the yeah. whole process. And that's just been really fun. Amazing. And yeah, I'm going to ask you a little bit more about the personal stuff that you've done in a little while. I want to focus at, for, at first on just the HarperCollins stuff. Let's, let's okay. talk about HarperCollins a little bit more. So um, obviously with COVID-19 and this pandemic, the world has changed. How yeah. has the world changed for HarperCollins and for you through this pandemic? Well, the world has changed and what we've seen in publishing um is people have consumed more books. Um, not that they necessarily didn't before, but I think given the going into lockdowns and several lockdowns and schools um, shutting, children being more at home, there was a need for more, uh, not only reading, but access to resources. And there are two things here. The first was resources for children's homeschooling. And as HarperCollins, we do uh, quite a lot of education. Um, we have a whole uh, learning and education division called mm. Collins Learning that provides school to uh, provides books for schools. So there was a huge demand for that, and that really was very positive for Hopper Collins. So there was that aspect. So that literally did significantly well, very very well. And then if you look at the other um, part, is people having more time on their hands? There was a lot more digital reading and a lot of people just looking for things to do. And it, what we saw was the backlist, what we call the backlist. It was very backlist driven, meaning people suddenly say, oh, I love that author. Haven't read all their books that they published five, six years ago. And so you, we saw a lot of people just looking at some of the old books we published because it was very uncertain for what we call front list publishing. Um, I think about 70% of the channels through which we sell books on the high street were closed. I'm talking about the first lockdown in the UK. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of uncertainty around book selling, but somehow it was very clear, at least by the autumn, that publishing in many ways was winning and, um, and you know, people were buying books. Of course, the online, re online retailers were doing significantly better. 
And so all in all, I think publishing, um, rightly or wrongly, won through this whole process Amazing. and continues to do so. Yeah. No, that's really fantastic. I'm glad to hear that. What about mm -hmm. the office environment? What about going into the office? What have you guys... I'm guessing nobody's <laughs> been in the office. So have you, have you even well, seen your colleagues in the past year and a half? <laughs> um, online a lot. So overnight, we literally went from about 99% working in the office to 100% uh, at home. Wow. So there was a huge learning curve for, um, you know, publishing um, is sort of an industry where I, I don't know if we always set the trends when it comes to uh, working, but um you know, we were in offices and it's books everywhere and it's paper everywhere. And all of a sudden we just had the computer at home. So it was a learning curve on how learning how to work uh, remotely and online together. But I think I would say it put us 13 years ahead in terms of how we work as um, the technology was available. Yeah. I'm so impressed with how I can't speak for others, but how we as um, uh, our IT divisions just literally were on it. And literally we did not miss a day. We did not Amazing. miss anything. We went straight into working like this online. Amazing. And I think a lot of people didn't know they could do a lot of things online. And some meetings are better online now we're finding than maybe when we were sitting in a big room in, uh, you know, in, in, the, in news building. So we have seen people online and then depending on what the government was doing and opening up and closing down. So our office has gone through that as well. Mm. So currently at the time of recording, we, you can go into the office, but you need permission and you need um, they, we, the, the offices have been re-kitted maybe in a way that we can allows for social distancing mm. and for all those government measures. So uh, yes, I have been in the office, I think four times since, the lockdown in March and seeing some colleagues and we you know I think we missed that I think how many months now 15 18 months later everybody misses working together and seeing each other so when those moments are very special when you actually yeah. go to the office and see people it's like yay virtual <laughs> hug <laughs> now be yeah. honest be honest people working at <laughs> home from their pajamas how many meetings did you go to in your pajamas or at least half pajamas tops Tops, nice, oh my goodness. pajama bottoms. Tell me, be I'm honest. I'm sorry, just about every every one. Are you kidding? <laughs> you know, you kind of do this, this top. Thing. This top is my pajamas. <laughs> what are you talking? Actually, this is not my pajamas. Today, I'm actually fully dressed, like for work, but slippers. Here's a funny story. The first time we went back into the office, um, we got into the office. Uh, there were a couple of colleagues, and we were like, "Do your feet hurt? Yeah, yours too." Yeah, we haven't worn shoes in like how many months? Like proper shoes? Our feet are <laughs> What are these things on my feet? I'm not free anymore. Yeah. And yeah. there was there was that, and a lot of trends started about how to have the zoom face and the makeup. So it was all about <laughs> top up. So yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's been very interesting to see. <laughs> what has been the funniest experience? You know, a lot of people have had, you've seen probably on YouTube and whatnot, all these really embarrassing situations and really funny situations about what the Zoom calls have brought or just whatever in general. And uh, we've heard some really funny stories and I'm wondering what might be one of the funniest stories and funniest or most embarrassing things that have happened to you. During the <laughs> 
Well, I don't know if mine are top up there as in funniest, but um, what I've seen is the pet explosion has just been amazing and incredible to see. You're in a Zoom call and the cat slowly walks and with the tail, and then we all have this ooh-ah moment. And and I think, yeah, I, I don't know if I'd call it the funniest, but it's just made it all so much more human, you know? Mm. Um, there's There's always, in the beginning, there was all this, oh, what's behind you? What's that picture behind you? And everybody's just having this moment of, you know, getting to know their colleagues on a different level. Yeah. Um, I have heard stories of people trying to have a bathroom break, but that didn't happen to us. <laughs> there's been the happen. videos, right? There's been the videos where people don't realize that the camera's still on and they take it yeah. to the bathroom with them. And yeah. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, you oh my God. But it, it makes us all human and it just makes, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think, and we've had a lot of great moments. We've had Christmas parties online and, Amazing. you know, I, I think we had a Christmas party and, and we've had a movie, movie quiz night and we all, every team had to go on Zoom and there was best costumes. So people are getting into it a little bit more. And I think yeah. we did Men in Black and we just all came in. And I think we kind of won along with two other I think the cats people also won as well. But yeah, we've just had a lot of great moments. I don't know if I can think of one of the funniest moments. No, that's fine. Moments. That's it sounds like you're having a great time through COVID. So <laughs> I'm really happy to hear that. That's really good. Um, fantastic. So um, going back to HarperCollins and publishing, and um, there's a lot of people who feel like they can write their own book, right? I'm sure you must get 10 million different applications every single day of people saying, yeah. I'm an author, I have a story to tell. So what is it that you're looking for? Um, what, 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 separates out, uh, what separates people who really do have a, a, a story and can be an author versus, you know, yeah. I know we all have a story, so I don't mean yeah. to take away from that, but just to simply say, what's the difference between somebody who actually is going to get signed yeah. versus somebody who, thank you very much, you're going to get your th thank you, don't call us, we'll call you yeah. later. <laughs> yeah. um, there are many ways to answer that question. And the first thing I would advise anyone who would consider being published is to certainly do homework and realize that publishing is a business. It's not a charity. You know, we have a PLs to look at and we, at the end of the day, we're in it. Um, we have to not only make money, but sustain the business. So having that commercial awareness is something a lot of authors need to know. Um, and also the second thing I would also advise is understanding how publishing works generally. Like you publishing today, there's so many avenues to publishing. There is going what we would call the traditional way, which is basically like us, HarperCollins, where you have to get an agent because we um, our publishers will not take unsolicited um, manuscripts. Now they are exceptions. Mm -hmm. um, and also there is the other way of actually self-publishing. So there needs to be a general understanding of how the business model works. And so that's before you even think of writing, I would say understand the commercial, um, the commercial way publishing works and also um, the avenues to publishing. So once you're there, the next level is to understand what divisions do. There's nothing like you wanna write a YA book and then you send it and YA is considered children's or within the children's division, but then you send it to the fiction team because- YA being you, young adult. Young adult, perhaps right. you've seen 
um, Hunger Games or Divergent and some of these books that have been, you know, very, very successful, but understanding that those are published by children's divisions and people make that mistake. So there is a lot of homework to do. So because that's one way to, what's one easy way to get rejected is to send the wrong book to the wrong editor. And that might have nothing to do with the work or the actual written material, but you need to understand where you're sending your books. And if you're going the traditional route, your agent needs to know what publishers are looking for. So yeah, I think that's what, you know, in a very, very quick way separates those who get published and not. It is literally um, having a good book is just the ticket to play the game. Many people can write a good book. Mm. And these are the layers of understanding publishing, what happens in a publishing house, editorial, where you stand. It's even simple things like writing a pitch and saying, oh, I'm the new... I don't know, Lee Child, I'm the new Dan Brown. And I'm, you know, understanding what's selling today, yeah. you know, what it looks and like. understanding like, if I'm going to write fiction, who is writing like me today and selling, not necessarily who wrote 10 years ago and mm-hmm. was selling because publishing moves on very quickly, trends come and go. So there, mm-hmm. yeah. So this in a nutshell is some of the advice I would give. And obviously Fantastic. craft you need to know the craft, um, understand the craft and invest in yourself in the craft. You know, mm. yeah, it's it's the ticket to play, but then now you have to play the game and that's the ticket to entry. <laughs> yeah, I was explaining to somebody the other day that playing the game doesn't always mean manipulation and all that sort of stuff. Sometimes playing the game is chess. It's yeah. just understanding who are the pieces on the board? How do they work? And how are yeah. you going to advance ahead? Right. Absolutely. So absolutely. So I think that's really great <laughs> advice. So thank you for sharing that. Um, a bit of a gossipy question now for you, which is <laughs> working in a creative industry. And I think this is mm-hmm. going to be something that listeners are going to love to know the answer to. Um, yeah. You don't necessarily have to use names, although you're yeah. welcome to. But working in a creative industry, what are some of the most diva moments you've heard about? Oh, my word. From authors. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, I certainly can't. So many. Names. <laughs> so many. <laughs> so so but, many stories, so little time. We could do a whole yeah, podcast but it's just like, on that. <laughs> it's, it's just like any creative industry. Um, you have to admire creative people because um, they're, they're geniuses at what they do. And every... And you find divas everywhere it's not just in the creative industry it's it's in any industry so I mean I can't think of any I mean there are going to be moments and it's going to be how you're interpreted on how big an author is versus how um what I value maybe I I frame it this way what I value is a great working relationship with any author or any business partner and I think it's down to having mutual um respect uh, for what the author brings to the table and and what the publisher brings to the table. And I think Mm. that's how I like to work. I like to, I like to um, be able to know that we're all professionals here and we're all working to the same goal. So, and I, and it's true. Yes. Sometimes people forget that. (laughs) (laughs) You're being very politically correct here, Rose. I want to hear about the tantrums and the, the, the tantrums. all, all green. I'm, I'm being honest. I'm trying to see if I've seen a tantrum or a walkout or a um, 
you know puppies i want a hundred dalmatians in my dressing room kind of thing i'll be very honest i saw that a lot more when i was working in the music industry (laughs) all right so let's switch then you mentioned some some bits and pieces about self-publishing and how you started in self-publishing and i believe you're still doing quite a lot in that realm with your decryptor series and i was wondering if you could tell us about that, because in addition to being part of HarperCollins, this massive conglomerate, you are on, you know, you, you kind of are le- leading to a double life, right? Yeah. So um, tell us <laughs> a little bit about your, your, your side double life as, as the decryptor. Yeah. Well, I would say if I hadn't done the decryptor, I don't think I'd be working at HarperCollins. Uh, okay. Start, start with the, what the decryptor is, though. So, okay. so tell us a little bit more about this. I've, <laughs> I, I've kind of thrown you into the, into the deep end into with, the, with that. Yeah. So like I said, I, I've always been a fan of story. For me, it all starts with story. However story is mm-hmm. told and, um, uh, and taken to market, however that is done, it's all about story. And uh, the channels are just channels to the reader. And at the end of the day, I feel that the reader is always the ultimate gatekeeper. So when I, I didn't even know I was going to work in publishing, I was just, I wanted to write story. So I started this book or this series called the Decrypta series. And the easiest way to understand it, it's a female James Bond with a matrix twist. For those of you who might know that genre, it basically says what it does on the tin. You've got this real kick-ass gal who kind of represents any woman. She can be any woman. She can be from any culture who finds herself in a man's world and with special gifts and she's navigating technology and how, so the series are very much about how technology is it, you know, where is it taking our world? Is it good? Is it bad? Is it changing humanity? And where, so it explores themes like that. And obviously it's fun. I love adventure. So it's all about fun. It's all about travel, lots of countries. So, I was doing that way before I joined HarperCollins. So in many ways, like in any job, there are lots of transferable skills. I was already publishing. So I created, um, I, I launched my own publishing independent business and, and decided, and I didn't have to, but I decided I wanted to do it independently um, at that time. And maybe it's because I, you know, I just wanted to get on with it and, you know, and that's it. And it has worked well for me. It's not for everyone. I'm not going to lie. It's mm-hmm. not for everyone because there's a lot involved. You have to know what you're doing. Everything from editorial to distribution to metadata to all that behind the scenes language we use in publishing. So in that way, all of that I did there prepared me for what I'm doing today in mm-hmm. many ways because yeah. you're it. When you're writing, you're the director, you're the casting director you're the um mm. you know the boom man you're you're everything you're you're, you're a script writer you're everything you're set your props and 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 I and and part of me just loves that it's my happy place but at okay. the same time I get to love to use all these skills that I bring to my day job which is just fascinating and one of the things I do is also mentor authors and I have recently translated that into the academy which we've launched at HarperCollins and I couldn't have done any of that uh, without having gone through the processes myself. Yeah. Nice. Let's talk about that 
Let's talk about the uh, HarperCollins uh, Author Academy, which is something that you launched through this this COVID downtime, basically. I don't want to call it downtime because I don't think you ever have downtime. But, <laughs> um, but this is something, yeah. this is new to HarperCollins, isn't it? So can you tell us yeah. a little bit more about that project? Well, I'd always, as, as a publisher and as an author, as someone who loves this industry and loves story, I'd always mentored authors or people who want to be authors because I just felt I wanted to give back in, in something I really enjoy. And it's something like it was in my hands. You can do it. I wanted, I've always had this can do, why not help someone else who's actually, and that had always been a passion of mine is how do you demystify publishing? And, and at one point, because the Academy for me came from a personal place, it is very much around after the whole what we experienced last year after uh, George Floyd's murder, after um, protests around the world that followed that. I mean, none of us were unchanged, but going back a little from a personal perspective for me, I remember being reading books and never seeing my race represented or many, I'm a diplomatic kid, I was traveling around the world. I was in international schools most of my life. And you saw all these cultures. And for me, in the English reading language, a lot of them were not represented. And so it came, and I, moving on to that, I said, I want my kids to grow up in a world where they see their race represented, or they see their communities represented, or they see, I can do that. And it's kind of the world we're heading towards. So there was all that going on, and I had actually already started thinking what an academy would look like or what a program might look like. Um, and I was just pleasantly surprised when I took the idea to our um, CEO and our, and our you know, leadership and said, you know, we have an opportunity to make a difference here. It's so easy. And when I say easy, it's not like, you know, it was a walk in a the park. There was a lot of hard work that went behind it. But we have the capability, we have the know-how and we have the goodwill. And so the Academy was born and it was done all through lockdown. So it Amazing. is um, six weeks program where we um, train and bring on um, students, also students from an underrepresented um, racial backgrounds. And that 45 places, and we take on, uh, we'd have two terms, so to speak. We're just about to launch the new uh, term on the 5th of July. So admissions will open for the autumn um, cohort. So yeah, it, it was, it's really about giving back. And what we do is we have three streams uh, in fiction, nonfiction and children's, 15 people in each. And they have the best tutors in the world, in my eyes, the best tutors out there to teach uh, the craft. But not only that, the beauty of this is that our students are paired with mentors from HarperCollins. Also, they we've done masterclasses. I think we have about 15 and growing in the, in the business of publishing. And when I say Wonderful. it's not even authors out there who are currently being published have access to this material, what it is, we might do a masterclass on contracts and legal, what an author needs to know. We have another one, how to work with an agent. How do you find an agent? Mm. So we might have one on how books are sold, understand how your books are sold because that can, and then we have other, you know, we have others in, it's just all areas of, 
of publishing, children's, what's the children's market? What does it mean? YA, all of this, middle grade and so forth yeah. and so forth. So the idea is to demystify publishing, but to also give opportunity because we do not expect you to, once you finish the course, do you have the opportunity to submit um, unagented to us, but equally, if you want to be agented, that's up to you, but mm. it's, and we do, it's like, and the biggest, I think the beauty of what I love is the alumni program out of it, because anybody who goes through this program is automatically part of our alumni um, program, which basically means we keep in touch with you. We talk, uh, we might do events, you know, after the whole COVID world. I don't know what that looks like, but whatever yeah, that looks yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Is, it's the dialogue continues. Yeah, And we've had incredible feedback and it's probably one of the proudest things I've ever done. Um, just uh, just hearing what how students have really, really benefited. And I would do it all over again. And I'm so glad we continued to do it. And so, yeah, the Academy's there. How do people get involved with that? Where would they go if they wanted to apply? So we have a website. It's the HarperCollins Author Academy website. And it is uh, harpercollinsacademy.co.uk. Currently, it's only open to UK residents, um, UK and Ireland. And who knows, maybe in the future that might change. Um, you, we ask students to make sure that they have a connection uh, to the internet and are able to get on things like Zoom and some of the other platforms. And that's pretty much it and bring a lot of, um, and the other thing is in the application process, of course, we ask you to do a little, show us some of your best writing. It is for people who really want this, who really want really, really have, and never had the opportunity. It's about yeah. opening opportunity and, and dialogue. And our teams are so involved in it. And it's, you know, it's Amazing. such a great thing to see. Yeah. Amazing. Um, diversity and inclusion, which is where I think this whole author academy really stemmed from, right? Um, has been a huge topic in business this year, especially yeah. off the back of all the George Floyd stuff and the Black Lives Matter stuff. As not only a woman, but a Black woman, I'm curious about what your experience has been. And maybe you would feel yeah. like you want to share some of the, the stories and experiences you've had. Yeah, I mean, it's a very, it's a very interesting and a very good and relevant question because I think I'd start off and say everybody has had a different experience and that's not to negate anybody's experience so the first thing I would say is there is a lot of um, this has to stem from somewhere it's because people have had an experience it's historical it's deeply ingrained in our society and it has to change and I think most people would agree with that. Mm. And I believe having that downtime in lockdown and COVID, when life was a bit on pause, it, it gave people the time and space to reflect on these long forgotten things that in many ways have just been accepted. So with that aside, I'm also, for my personal experience, and this is, I don't think I can remember a time where I've had a negative racist experience 
And that is not to negate anybody's experience because it does exist. Of course. And I think, and some, I've, I've always asked myself, why is that? And is it because it didn't exist or didn't happen? Or is it because of how I responded to it? And this is something I have to think about because I have to talk to, uh, I have to um, explain it to the next generation. And it's possibly because the way I was raised, I was raised that sometimes racism is the other person's problem. So if I have never received a job or someone's been rude to me, my first default is not to turn, oh, it's because they're racist. Oh, it's because I look like this. And that Mm -hmm. could be because I choose to see no color. I choose to, it might be because I try to be maybe a positive. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. And I'm not saying that that's probably not where it came from. But I have chosen personally not to go there. And that's just me. It's because um, when I look at my life, when something has gone away that I didn't want it to go, I don't default to, oh, this has to be racism. It's because I'm black or it's because I'm a woman or it's, and I'm not saying that didn't exist. Of course. It could have been done in that spirit. Yeah, yeah, of course. But I like the taking the high road attitude of, you know, I take the high road and I say, well, I can't change what a person feels and the way they are. Yeah. Uh, I can only change how I react to it. And I can only change, I can only change me. I can't change others. So it's doing things positively in business, especially in business when you're trying to tackle systemic racism and some of these other issues. I think it's to do with, um, it's, it's, it's all about all of us together, how we can collectively work together. I've just published um, this book here. Show us. Still breathing. It's still black breathing. On 100 racism. Black Voices on Racism. So this uh, published yesterday, and that would be in June at, at the time of recording. And what we've done with this book is two amazing uh, authors and editors have come together and collected 100 voices from all walks of life, whether it's film, whether it's theater, whether it's business, whether it's uh, pol- um, um, politics, um, you name it, every walk of life. Wow. And what they've done is there's a sort of a page uh, for every person and they tell their story. So this is Damien's, for example. So they tell their story in about 250 words about how they've experienced racism. It's a beautiful, colorful book. And we have some big names in here, some you will know. Um, We've got Beverly Knight in here. Um, We've got Suzette Lulin, who's in EastEnders. Um, We've got Suzanne Packer, and those are our two editors. And, um, you know, people in film, like, you know, you know, Michael uh, Obiora here, for example, we've got David Lammy in here. So it's people and also others, mm-hmm. maybe you do not know as well. And they've each talked about their experience. So this is where I was going is you cannot discount somebody else's experience. And it's very important to understand. And it's also important to have the conversations in a respectful way to have conversations. And I think that's the only thing we can do to change um, and I'm a huge advocate in terms of listening to people's stories. That's why this, I really wanted to publish this book. And I think it will always come up when there is an incident in history around racism, especially mm. in our country. 
Um, it's a very important book and it's a book that children and adults can read equally and be engaged in. And we were very clear on making it accessible and well-designed for yeah. um, a good reading experience. I'm really proud of that one. Yes, I think it's fantastic. And I love your, I love your positive attitude towards it. I think that it's wonderful that, um, you know, I know you personally and I know you're probably one of the happiest, bubbliest, nicest, you know, <laughs> I just feel energized and inspired when I'm around you. So um, I'm glad that uh, you've, you've taken that forward into your life. And, and if there were yeah. any negative experiences, not let them get you down. So yeah. that's fantastic. I where think can, it's, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Go all ahead. I was going to say to wrap that one up is that it's important that we acknowledge, we acknowledge what needs to change and be part of the change. And I'm, I'll be the first one there when there is change that needs to happen. Yeah. And to, to listen and to understand how we can make change. And I think it's so important not to discount people's experiences. Of course, of course. That's why I'm trying to open up the conversation and hear these stories. Cause I think there's a lot of people who believe, you know, if they're like you and I, and we talk and we don't, we're not seeing these lines yeah. and we just think all of that stuff happens over there, you know, yeah. in these places that you, that we don't visit. And it, it's not true. It, it does have, you know, each person, as you said, does have yeah. a different experience and it can be happening right in front of you. And it's great to just open up and have those conversations. I think a lot of people are scared to have them, but it's, it's yeah. not such a scary conversation, is it? And I think it's yeah. fantastic that these stories are uh, put in a book that we can all go and read and enjoy. Where do we get that book? So it's, Wherever good books are sold, um, wherever you buy your books, we have made sure the book is available there. So, and it's a lovely hardback. I'm really proud of this work. And it is stories that have to be heard. And also back to what you were saying, there is this thing that we think things happen over there. But the way we frame this is we might have seen George Floyd and everything that came after that, the aftermath and think it's over there. But Britain has its own story on racism and it's all in here and that's what we wanted to do still breathing a hundred black, black voices, voices on racism on racism amazing and yeah. rose before we go can you tell me where can we get the decryptor series where do we go to get that uh fine <laughs> fine bookstores as well i'm sure yes fine um Predominantly your e-retailers, so that's where you get it. But again, you can get it at, it, it's it's available where uh, good books are sold as well. Mostly e-retailers, e I would say. So uh, you can get it on your Amazons, you can get it on your Kobos, you can get it on your Apples, you can get it on wh wherever you read digital books, you should be able to get them. And the first book in the series is free. Uh, if oh. you want to just sample it, yes, it's on. it's free on all retailers. And it's a good way to taste and see if you if that's for you. And then you can go on to read the rest of the series. What's the full uh, title of the first book? So it's The Decryptor, Secret of the Lost Manuscript. Ooh, <laughs> Rose, thank you so much for joining. Oh, me you're so welcome. It's been a delight. <laughs> you have sh shown so much insight onto the publishing world for us and, uh, and shared some really amazing stories. So thank you very, very much. Rose Sandy. Oh, thank you. Great to be here.